Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Exodus chapter 12, verse 33, we are going to actually finally see the Israelites leave Exodus, or leave, leave Egypt in the Exodus. I commented to a friend of mine this past week as I was preparing, like, this Sunday we're finally leaving Egypt. And this friend said to me, well, it's only been 400 years, so praise the Lord, we've been in Exodus for a while. I think we started it, I don't even remember when we started, we've been here for a while, but uh, we are going to see the Egyptians rush out the people of Israel. We have been examining the history of the people of Israel from when they entered Egypt to the day of their departure, which we will see here today. We have been observing how God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. He is delivering. He is redeeming. That is the act of what we are watching and have been visiting in all of the plagues that came on Egypt in the Passover, in the unleavened bread last week, the consecration of the firstborn. These are all acts of God's redemption of his people. And now as we come to the 33rd verse of chapter 12, God is going to be leading his people out with all the instructions given to the people, what they are to do, where they are to go, how they are to do it, who can participate with them. I want us to remember that we are living in the time of space prior and up to the midnight hour of God striking all the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast. That is the mechanism that God used, as he said back in Exodus chapter 3, the 19th verse, it will take a strong hand to compel Pharaoh to let my people go. The death of the firstborn of Egypt from the highest to the lowest, from the son of Pharaoh to the slave, son of the slave woman, all of the firstborn of the land of man and beast killed. And Pharaoh says, if you'll look with me in verse 31, even before we reach our text today, this is what we examined several weeks ago, when that plague fell, they rushed to get Moses by night, which calls back even to chapter 11, your people will come to me and bow down to me and say, get out. That's happened. They've rushed him to Pharaoh. Pharaoh in the 31st verse, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and be gone. There's something of note in the words of Pharaoh before we actually see the Israelites leave Egypt. In those verses right there, specifically verse 31, up, go out from among my people, both you, look what he says, and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord, as you have said, he's recognized the authority and the power and the appropriation of the people of Israel unto God. He's recognizing that and saying, get out. We are in Exodus chapter 12. Would you follow along? Verse 33 through 42. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said... We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. 
And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they left them, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children, a mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out from out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, pray for help and wisdom as we examine your word. I thank you, God, that you use me, but you know how I struggle with my imperfections of teaching. And I know, Father, that only your spirit can make known the understanding of your word in our hearts and minds. And so, Father, I ask that you would be here. Help me. Speak to me as you speak through me. Speak to the hearts and minds here gathered. Father, may we come away with a greater understanding of who you are, a greater knowledge of your word, and Father, may we come away encouraged with a greater understanding as how to live as your people in this life. Father, I pray that the sinner would be humbled to repentance and salvation through the preaching of your word. God, may your people be called to holiness as you are holy. And Father, may Christ the Savior be exalted. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. A night of watching, various titles swirled around for me on this one, a night of watching by the Lord and a night of watching, I think I settled with a night of watching. I want to draw our attention from today's text to this thought, just as the Lord stood watch and led out the people of Israel from their bondage in Egypt, so too he will lead us up out of our bondage in this land of sin. This is where you get the end of the message at the very beginning, then we rewind and play it forward. God is still watching over his people to deliver them. This isn't a one and done here with the people of Israel. This is an example for the people of God in the lives of the people of Israel. As God stood watching to deliver his people, he is still standing watch to deliver his people. And Christian, if you need any encouragement, take this. Christian, if you need any encouragement, take this. God will not fail in delivering his people. He will not fail. I know, this may come as a surprise to you, I know what it is to say, gosh, am I right with the Lord? Am I saved? Am I his? Am I going? Do I know I don't know? And we question it and we get confused. And I know that thought and that temptation. Trust this. God's not going to fail to do what he has said he will do. 
God has promised deliverance. He has shown us how he delivers. We know how he saves. He saves us, and he will not fail in saving us, and he will not fail in delivering his people. If you are ever getting bogged down in the mire of this life, when, O oh Lord, like the Israelites, when, O oh Lord, he will not fail to deliver his people. He will stand watch and his people will see deliverance. And we're going to see it a couple of more times as we walk through Exodus. And if you were to continue on reading throughout the Old Testament, you would continue to see God delivering his people and not failing. And God delivering his people and not failing is how we're going to start focusing and examining on this scripture here this morning. It says in verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people. You may have seen later, it says they were thrust out and they did not have time. What I want you to draw on, I don't want to simply provide a commentary on these verses, but that is kind of what I'm doing. And while I'm doing that, I want you to pay attention to how in this instance, everything that God has said will happen, happens. The reason I draw that out slowly and say what may sound obvious to you is because I want you to focus on God will do what he says. I will fail you. You will fail me. And you will fail each other. We are broken. God will not fail. He cannot fail. And so I want to draw out here as we walk through these first couple of verses, I just want to show you how God has said what he would do, and here it is happening. It says in verse 33, the Egyptians sent them out of the land. Notice it says they're in haste. It's been a few weeks, but that word in haste should be kind of spinning around in our minds as we consider Exodus. Remember what he said to them in the Passover instructions back in chapter 12. Where is it? In around the 11th verse, the end of the 11th verse, eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. Don't delay, because my deliverance is going to come, and when it comes, the people of Egypt are going to rush you out of the land. There's no dilly, no dally. Eat up. It will happen in haste. Eat it in haste. They are to eat it in haste, and here the Egyptians are thrusting them out of the land. I want us to remember, when this happens, we are between sunset on the 14th day of the month, which is when they were supposed to kill the lamb of the Passover, and the sun has not yet risen or set on the 15th day of the month. Remember, we talked about the Hebrew calendar. The next day starts when the sun is down and it's dark. That's the start of the next day. So they're kind of in a new day, but it's still the middle of the night. And it doesn't matter what calendar you're following or what your watch or the clock on the wall or your iPhone that automatically updates time every time the time changes. It's the middle of the night. And remember, we examined not a home in Egypt was untouched by the death of the firstborn. Every house in Egypt had someone dead, and this caused a stir, and it caused a stir in the palace, and Pharaoh rushes Moses in and says, get out. Just as Pharaoh's servants hurried to move their slaves and livestock so that they would be spared from the hail in verse 20 of chapter 9. And just as Pharaoh's servants said to him, do you not see the land is ruined? 
in chapter 10. Here now the people of Egypt, Egypt are urgent to let the people of Israel go. Why? Because if they don't go, we're goners. God is not going. This God, whoever he is that these people are serving, that these people are trusting, that these people are worshiping in, he is not going to spare us if we don't let them go. We must get them out. And so middle of the night, early dawn the next day, we don't have an exact time frame. The Bible says on the 15th day of the month, get out. You can no longer be here. Or we, look what they say, for they said, we shall all be dead. Verse 34 and 39 illustrate this further with the unleavened bread. Remember, they didn't have time. It says, people took their dough before it was leavened. Why will you eat unleavened bread? You eat unleavened bread for seven days and you'll tell your children and your, your sons and your children, you'll tell them, we're eating this because we didn't have time. When God delivered us, he said, get up and get out, and we had to go, and we had no time, and so now for seven days, we are eating this unleavened bread. It says right here, look, they left it in the kneading bowls. They bound it up in the cloaks on their shoulders. Verse 39, they had no time to prepare provisions. The bread was not leavened, so the food that they ate was unleavened bread because the people of Egypt thrust them out of the land. Illustrates how quickly they wanted the destruction of the Lord to get away from them. All God has said is, let my people go, and you're refusing to let them go. We've got to let them go. And even Pharaoh comes to the point, all of Egypt, that's what we must notice. It's easy for us to hang up on Pharaoh. Why was Pharaoh disobedient? Why didn't the people rise up against Pharaoh and make Pharaoh do what they wanted him to do and be spared? No, no, no. Pharaoh and Egypt are in one basket, disobeying God together. They are disobedient, wicked people that are not obeying God, refusing to let them go. And here, in these verses 31 through 37, 36, we see Pharaoh said, up, go. Moses says, your servants will come and bow down to me and say, get out. They were urgent. Thrust them out of the land. I wonder if you've ever experienced in your life as God produces his story in your life, we call that a testimony. I wonder if you've ever experienced somebody rushing you away from them. They don't want to talk. Maybe you have to deal with them, but the answer is, yep, sure, fine, okay, thanks. They want nothing. Get away from me. I believe that if we think about that in our own lives now and consider this here, the reason is because the Bible tells us that God has put eternity on the hearts of all mankind. And every single person born on the earth knows that wickedness will be punished. And when the Holy Spirit of the living God in you confronts the spirit-less, Christ-less life of another person, I believe there is a sense of judgment, right? How many of us, we know this, don't we? Are you going to judge me? Don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? I haven't judged you. I've done nothing. Why are you calling me a judge? I've not judged. This just happens. Why? Because the Spirit of God is confronting the hearts of man. And what's ultimately going to happen? Wicked men are going to be judged. And nobody likes that. Get away from me. I don't want your judgment. I don't need your judgment. May we live in such a way that though our lives confront the lives of others, may we not be judges. Careful in your judgment, how you judge. 
There is a time for it. It is to happen, but it is to be done well. And when you are dealing with people in the world, the people in the world start their discussions with Christians with, don't you judge me. You go to church and my judge, remember what they said to Moses, who made you judge over us? Let's be careful in how we are living our lives, but the nature of Christ in us cannot help but confront a sinful world. Verse 33, 35 and 36, the way in which Israel is leaving Egypt has all come about at the word and direction of the Lord. Would you turn back with me to chapter 3? It's not happening randomly. It's not happening, this is just how it's playing out. God has orchestrated the event for Israel's leaving of Egypt. Look back in chapter 3. Join me in around verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. This is God talking. Look what he says. After that, he will let you go. Verse 19, he has just said, unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will compel him with a mighty hand. Verse 21. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder Egypt. Go back to chapter 11. On your way back to chapter 12. Chapter 11 says, verse 2, Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Way back before the plagues, you understand. While Moses is on the mountain before he confronts Pharaoh, when, I think it's important for us to remember, when Moses was on the mountain, being afraid to do what God told him to do and doubting whether or not he could actually do it, God tells him precisely how he will deliver the people of Israel from the hands of Egypt. It's laid out, finally laid out in precise detail by a God who is directing the movements of his people. Spoken as what will happen before it even happens. And then it does. The people of Israel, after the word of the Lord came to them through Moses... The people of Israel had no reason to doubt or yet trust the word of God. Think if you're the people of Israel. You've been in bondage for how long? You're sitting there. A deliverer will come. When? When will he come? And we've already examined they started to give themselves even to looking at the foreign gods of the land and perhaps even worshiping foreign gods as they dwelt in this land of false gods and false worship. And then the word of the Lord comes to them. And what happens when the word of the Lord comes to them? A demonstration of God's power. Why? To tell them, believe my words. I, the Lord, will do this. I'm showing you this as evidence of what I will do. Now believe my words. And then what happens? And then they tell Pharaoh the same thing. And then plague one, two, Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All the firstborn in the land are dead, man and beast. And here the people are thrusting them out. 
It's going to be several weeks, but I want you to make a note. They have no reason at all to ever again doubt God. He has fulfilled perfectly, precisely what he said he would do. And they have no reason to doubt him ever again. I want that to live in your head while we walk through the rest of Exodus. I want you to live in your head every day. Because just as they have no reason to doubt, neither do we. For everything that God has said has happened and will happen. In a moment, can you imagine? In a moment, slaves mistreated, oppressed, in bonds that they themselves cannot free or cast off. They're in absolute bondage. And in a moment, what happens? Please get out of our land and do it as quickly as you possibly can. Okay, give me your gold and your silver and your clothing. Okay, get out. I want us to pay very careful attention to this quick interaction that's happening here, and I'm not dwelling on it because I don't want to hijack the, te hijack the text, but I think that we cannot neglect what's happening here. They were slaves, and they were in bondage. And a few days before, despite all the plagues, the taskmaster was over them, telling to do all the work that was impossible to do, the bricks without straw, and your quota shall not be diminished. Pharaoh's the ruler, big mean guy. And in a moment, those slaves are wearing new clothes, and they're carrying gold and jewelry, and they're walking out, Numbers tells us, triumphantly in the sight of all of Egypt. When was the last time that someone questioned you about your faith? Oh, I hope it was recently, because if it wasn't, we've got a further conversation to have. But when was the last time somebody asked you about your faith, the reason for the hope that lies within you? And when was the last time that you valiantly walked into that conversation because one time, in a moment, God took you a slave in bondage and put new clothes on you and gave you gold and silver immeasurable and innumerable and led you out triumphantly in the face of of all evil. That's the story of the Christian. That's what's happening right here. It's what's happening for all of God's people throughout all of time, and we're seeing it in a glimpse of these 600,000 people plus women and children. The wording is so warlike, and I, sometimes I like warlike, dominion, sovereign wording a little too much, but man, when the text goes there, I'm all about it. God said, ask for the silver and the gold and the clothing. Thus, they, you, Israel, shall plunder Egypt. This is war. Open war has been declared on God by a wicked enemy. And God is victorious. And the wording here, this is, this is warlike. There is triumph that is happening here. Why? Because a foe, Pharaoh and Egypt, has been utterly vanquished. Okay, utterly? Maybe not utterly yet. Wait till we get to chapter 14. When God says, this enemy that you see, you shall never see again. 
God will put away from his people all of his enemies. Because any enemy of God is an enemy of his people. And God will vanquish. And here a foe has been vanquished. And the victorious, make note of it, did nothing to gain the victory. God did it all. He delivered them. He gave them favor. It wasn't just because the people of Egypt wanted them out of land. God said, I will give them favor and they shall plunder Egypt. A foe vanquished, a people victorious being led out. Verse 37, look what it says. <clears throat> and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. I'm not dwelling today on the distance of journey because we're going to visit these words again and we'll talk about distances then. Because thinking about distances in large groups of people is a really important logistical thing that demonstrates the power of God over his people, okay? So we're not going to deal with distances, but look what it says here. About 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Remember what went to Egypt? Back in Exodus chapter 1, 70 people in all went to Egypt. we got to talk about numbers for a second. 70 people, that's family proper. There are estimates that it was close to 1,000 people that went into Egypt. Who mattered? The 70 people of the house of Jacob. God's chosen people. A whole bunch of people went. The narrative focuses on the 70. So who's going? Everybody that came from the 70 and everybody that produced from the 70, 600,000 people, it says, Pastor, why are you bringing this up? I'm bringing it up because until this past week, I didn't realize that this is a verse that people like to use to distort the scriptures. And any time I learn that there's something I'm going to talk about that is something that someone in the world may use to distort or discredit the scriptures, I want to help arm you with information that will help you stand on the word of God and not on your heels as someone in the world apparently seems to know more about the Bible than you do. We should always be challenged by people in the world not loving or trusting God through faith in Christ, knowing the Bible more than us. That should always cause a, <clears throat> it does for me, Every time I consider it. So here, 600,000 men on foot. On foot, a term, a military term. In the ancient writings, a military term meaning infantry, men of war. These are soldiers. 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Debate exists. Is this the actual number? Is it possible for the first unit that goes into Egypt, is it possible for them to have multiplied so much over that period of time, right? We're talking about hundreds of years. Debates exist on both the speculative side of the world, the debate, and in the house of God. I don't like it when debate exists in the house of God, but it does because we're broken and all of our best theology is broken. One day it will all be perfect. Shots are fired from those who would discredit the scriptures because they say there is no way that they could have multiplied. Debate exists because there's difficulty in translating the number and the term 600,000 men on foot. 
units, sizes, translations, records? Are these clans? Are the, what are these that we're actually talking about? Debate exists all over the place. Uh, church, what do we do when there's debate about God's word? We turn to God's word, we stand on what God's word says, and we leave it there. You do not have to engage in debate that God's word does not engage in. Do not respond to a fool according to his folly. Someone wants to debate, if you're not prepared, be careful about engaging it. I'm going to read up on that. Hey, thanks for bringing that to my attention. I'm going to look into that myself. We're going to examine God's word and come to a conclusion. You don't have to engage in debate that God's word does not engage in. In fact, the New Testament would tell you, stay away from all of these things. Useless discussions about genealogies and names and dates, they do no good. They're interesting, but they do no good. 600,000 men. The rest of Moses writings support this number, 600,000 men on foot as an actual number, not as a, we got to try and determine what is meant by sizes and units, and the world will say there's no way that those people could reproduce that rapidly. There's no way that in that amount of time they could grow from this number to that number. That's not, insert keyword, humanly possible. What, if, what just happened? What just happened when we inserted that's not humanly possible? We removed the divine possibility. That's not humanly possible, right, but we're talking about a divine action. So let's consider quickly what God's word says about this 600,000 men. Moses' writings support this number. I want you to see it. If you ever questioned on it, or you even are tempted just to doubt the scripture, here's a moment to see scripture supporting scripture. Moses' writings support the number. In Exodus 1, he tells us, in fact, I had them in here and then I took them out. It's Exodus chapter 1 and it's verse 7. The people were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Verse 10, the Egyptians are concerned. Let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And this is interesting. And if war breaks out... They join our enemies and fight against us. Verse 12, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. The midwives are supposed to kill firstborn sons as they're born, but it says God dealt well with them, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. There is a divine component in the reproduction of the Israelites in Egypt that supports 600,000 men on foot. In verse chapter 13, look over, maybe it's over on the page for you. Look over chapter 13, verse 18. God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Look, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, what? Equipped for battle. So now we understand that we are talking about a military force that does go up out of the land. Exodus chapter 38, verse 26, puts this number, 600,000, at a rounded number and tells us that it's 603,550. So that number in more detail. And then in Numbers chapter 1, God tells Moses and Aaron, number the men 20 years of age and upward who are ready for battle. And do you happen to know what number Moses and Aaron come to? 603,550 men. This is not a, we got to figure out, we got to understand, this is a 600,000 people, 
600,000 men on foot, plus women and children, went up out of Egypt. Exact number unknown. We can easily put this at an unfathomable, uncalculable number of people that God made, God reproduced, and then led out of Egypt miraculously. The whole story is miraculous, and so we don't need to doubt everything that is doubtable in Scripture, especially when Scripture supports 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Listen, I'm a family of eight. My wife and I and six kids. Sometimes moving that is tricky. So let's just say it's 600,000. Let's say it's 1.2 million. Let's say it's upwards of 2 million because nobody really knows the exact number. What happened? The strong arm of God took his people and moved them out of the hands of Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. Verse 38. Not just the people of Israel. Maybe you paid attention when I made this note a few weeks ago. A mixed multitude also went up with them. Very much livestock, both flocks and herds. A mixed multitude. Scholars and theologians and historians Nobody knows what those words mixed multitude means. No one. I don't want to say no one. No one knows exactly what it means. The Bible tells us that the mixed multitude were Egyptians. Not in whole, but in part at least, some of them were Egyptians. Some of them were slaves accumulated by the Israelite people. We need to understand slavery, which we'll totally get to as different than what we understand in our culture in our day. People that worked for the Israelites. They had acquired people in the land. Remember, this shouldn't be shocking to us. Why? Because in the observance of Passover, do you remember? There shall be one rule for the Israelite and the foreigner and the sojourner. Listen, people were welcome to the Passover meal that happened on that night in Egypt some 3,500 years ago. But there were rules to their participation. Remember, they have to be circumcised. They've got to eat it in the house. They've got to be in the house. They've got to be marked the doors with blood. A mixed multitude went up with them. Perhaps they were circumcised people who took part of the meal of Passover. Perhaps... These were people who looked at all the plagues. And do you remember that plague of hail? The Bible says there were those in the house of Egypt, Pharaoh's servants, that feared the word of the Lord. That word always means we're believing what your God is doing. I can't articulate it. I can't explain it. I can't define it as faith alone in Jesus Christ for salvation. But I am believing what is happening. And maybe some of those who went up in this mixed multitude were those who saw what was happening and said to their neighbor, what must I do to be saved? We're going to have a meal. And God has told us that anybody can eat of it, but you've got to do this. Can you imagine? Every, every man in the room was like, wait a second. Uh, but you're looking at pending doom and destruction of your land and everyone you know. I'm in. 
my sons and I, what do we need to do? We want to come into that home with the blood on the door. We want to partake of that meal. We want to leave this place with you because our gods are worthless. Our gods are powerless. We see the power of your God. We see the miracles of your God. We see the provision of your God and the safety of your people. We want to go with you. What do we do? Come in this way and partake of what has been provided for us. Perhaps the mixed multitude were those looking on and simply seeing the distinction in the safety of the Israelites and the destruction of the Egyptians. Now, I'm not going to say that every person that went up was believing in what was happening, but it was very clearly evident that there was water that was turned to blood, and there were locusts, and there were flies, and there was hail, and there was darkness, and there was death of the firstborn, and death of the livestock. And, and it doesn't take a brilliant scholar to figure out, Egypt is done, and I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going with you. Perhaps they were looking on and seeing the distinction and saying, well, I think that I would be safer with those who are protected than with those who are not. I'm going to go that way, right? And the Bible tells us that even in this very gathering right here, there may be people who don't actually belong to the people of God. So we should never be surprised when there are simply people who want to attach themselves to the people of God and go along with the people of God without ever believing or understanding or professing what the people of God profess and understand and believe. Perhaps, just perhaps, perhaps some of the mixed multitude saw those who the day before were slaves in bondage, filthy, unable to do anything to improve their situation, unable to get out of their bonds. Perhaps they remembered, yesterday you were a slave and I was the taskmaster, and today you're wearing new clothes, and you're carrying gold and silver, and you're walking out triumphantly as your God brings victory to you. I wonder, do people observe us and want to follow God. I don't want any of you to follow me. None of you. I want you to follow God. I want you to follow Christ. If you see me an example that you can follow of following Christ, praise God. But it better be an example only that you take into your life and make yours. Because if you're following me, we're in trouble. We follow Christ. And perhaps they saw this people walking out triumphantly in the face of their God, and they want to follow because they're watching people saved. When the world looks at us, do they see a people saved that they want to go with, be among? I want what you have. How do I? The important thing here is not how many went out. It's not who went out. The important thing here is how they went out. Exodus 12, 40 through 42 tells us that after hundreds of years of bondage, where they are unable to do anything about the bondage that they are in, the Lord has delivered his people. Note that it says in verse 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. 
you understand, like, in a, in a large group of people, there's always somebody at the tail end who's like, come on, no straggling here. Keep it up. Keep it up. Let's go. Come on, let's move it. Get the lead out of your pants. Come on, come on, come on, let's go. Right? Always, always. And do you know who is doing that for the Israelites coming out of Egypt? The Lord God. Come on, people. This way to the promised land. Come on. Pick it up. Keep it going. He stood watching to deliver his people. Do you understand how active God is in your deliverance? Oh my goodness, I could lose my mind and preach for the rest of the day. You do nothing. God does all of it. You're in bondage in your sin, just like they're in bondage in Egypt. You can't break the chains, just like they couldn't break the chains. You can't do anything. And God says, I've come to deliver you, for unto you today has been born a Savior who is Christ Lord. I don't know why people don't want to get excited about following that. I know what I was. I know what I couldn't do. And God said, child, you are mine. And I look around the room and I see people who I know. God has said to you, child, you are mine. He stood watching. He has been watching. When you were at your lowest in this life, think about it. Everyone in the room, think about your lowest point in life. Maybe you haven't been there yet, young people. Just wait. Unfortunately, it's a fact of life. You're going to hit a low point. Everyone in this room, think about your lowest point of life and think about what you couldn't do and here you sit. Why? Because God stood watching to deliver you. Some of you from the jail cell. Some of you from the bottle. Some of you from the pill. Some of you from the agony and despair of this life and God stood watching to deliver you from it, to change you to make you holy as he is holy, to purify you so that people watching would say, I want to go with you. Tell me about this God who has delivered you. Numbers 33, verses 3 and 5 tell us it's an excellent commentary on what happens in this moment. On the 15th day, they went out from Ramesses to Succoth. Numbers chapter 33, verses 3 through 5 says, They went out triumphantly in the face of all the Egyptians, with all the Egyptians watching on. Do you know what it says? While they were burying their dead. They're not only watching the people of Israel go, they've got a spade in the ground. To put a body in the ground. Because they were disobedient to God and would not let the people go. And they still haven't let the people go. God broke the bonds and brought his people out. I will deliver my people. I will compel Pharaoh to let my people go. As we consider the Lord standing watch over his people, a night of watching, that to this day in Orthodox Jewish homes... Get in contact with some Jew that doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you ask him about this. To this day, in Orthodox Jewish homes, when the Passover in that week is celebrated, there's a night of watching, and there's an active participant in the Jewish home, if they're present, that participates in the night of watching. Still happens to this day. It's still happening. You know what they're watching for? It'd be kept as a night of watching. You know what they're watching for? They're watching for the deliverance of God's people. Because they reject that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. As we consider the Lord standing watch over his people, I would remind you that he is still standing watch over his people. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says that Christ 
is able to save, thank you, Jesus, to the uttermost. Means you're not a case too hard that Christ will not and cannot save. Oh, if, if you only knew. Oh, if God only knew, he does. He knows it all. Christ is able to save those to the uttermost who draw near to God through him. Man, isn't that the great hang-up too? I believe in God and all that and Jesus, but I don't know, man. My life and blah, 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 blah. Listen, people of Israel didn't walk around like blah, 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 blah. They walked out triumphantly in the face of Egyptians who were burying their dead, clothed in new clothes, carrying precious jewels. Triumphant, saved to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through faith in him. Hebrews 7.25 says that Christ lives to make intercession for his people. You know what that means? If you're sitting here today saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, praise God for your salvation. Amen? It means that you, in your faith walk in this life, you are going to encounter people in here and out there who God is saving. And do you know how? He's going to use your testimony, which is not yours. It's his story in your life. We call that a testimony. He's going to use that, and Jesus makes intercession for them to redeem them by his blood. And God does it. And you did nothing except talk about what God did. Do you understand? Like the Israelites going out triumphantly because God is defeated and made a public spectacle of their enemy. So too we can walk around triumphant. Christ has canceled the written code against us, nailing it to the cross, Colossians says, making spectacle of that which stood against us. And here he's done the same thing to Pharaoh and Egypt, making a spectacle, leading out his people, robed in new clothes, carrying gold and carrying silver, washed in the blood of the lamb and their robes now as white as snow. Listen, I know that we get a little dingy and dirty as we walk through this life, but one day waiting for us is a garment without spot, blemish, wrinkle, Ephesians 5 says, or any such thing, where we will then be with one another, beholding the perfection of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and of our God for eternity. God delivers, redeems his covenant people according to his mercy and by his grace through faith in his promise in all of their despair. 430 years of calling when in all of their despair they were never alone and God was standing watch to deliver his people in his time for his purpose, for his glory and he is doing the same for us today. If you have not, through faith in Christ, called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, here's your call. Do it now. There's no time to wait. When the firstborn were struck dead, it was too late for Pharaoh and Egypt to obey and spare those lives. There's a warning for us. Haste. Turn to Christ do it now. If you have not, if this life for you is nothing but a charade, if this is nothing but I put on a face and I go and do this thing, and I'm okay and everybody thinks I'm okay and so everything is okay, but eternally and internally, you're just a disaster because you've never trusted Christ through faith 
and called in the name of the Lord, do so today and be like the Israelites led out from Egypt in new clothes. Be changed. Be led out from your bondage. Father, I come to you today and I pray, God, for the people gathered here. Oh, Father, help me love well the people before me. Father, I pray that for every heart here that they would call upon your name. You have said, believe in your heart that I raised Jesus from the dead. Confess Christ as Lord. You have said that you will save. Father, I pray in bondage and despair that hearts would call on and trust in you. Father, for those in this room who, according to your mercy, by your grace, through faith in Jesus, have been saved, praise you, thank you. God, we rejoice. Together we sing your praise and rejoice that you have put new clothes on us. We praise you, God, that the old man is gone. We see remnants and we push it away because what you have done is so much greater than what we could ever do. We rejoice that you have pulled us out of bondage and saved us, that you stood watch to deliver us completely, that you will not fail in delivering your people. Father, help us to walk triumphantly in, through, and out of this life into glory, realizing that we are your people, clothed in your garments, washed in your blood, triumphant over bondage and sin and a future and an eternity in hell that we could not escape until you intervened for us. Thank you, God. Father, help us to carry this urgent message to the people around us. Every people, every person, every group that we come into contact with over this season, Father, help us to be urgent with this. We know the judgment of God is coming. And we know how the blood of the Lamb can be applied to those lives that they may be spared. Help us, Father, to see the urgency and to call people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, to be changed, to be new, to be yours, to glorify you. God, we praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.